Blog Talk Radio. Good night in the ancient Paleo-Hebrew 
I'm your host, your brother, your friend, as always, Tyler Pye, and welcome to another edition of Bible Talk. I hope everybody is healthy. hope everybody had a good Shabbat, a good weekend. Um, I normally would come and do the show in the morning, so I know a lot of y'all were uh, uh, <clears throat> anticipating me to go on this morning, but um had some things I needed to take care of, so I wasn't able to get to the show this morning, but it's live in effect right now, y'all. So shalom, everybody. Uh, I want to send shouts out to our affiliated schools, the brothers here in San Antonio, led by the Brother Award. Also, shouts out to Quattro uh, Zop and the crew down at H-Town holding it down. Um, stream of, I always mess this up, Stream of Wisdom, yes. Uh, also, shouts out to uh, the Brother Kazakia up in VA. And shouts out to Zion Nala in Rochester. Shouts out to uh, the brothers and sisters out in Albuquerque. Also, the brothers and sisters in um, Atlanta, Canada, and the brothers and sisters out in California. Shouts out to Kyle Cobb down in Guatemala. So, y'all, um, last week wasn't able to get uh, to the show some technical difficulties was going on on uh, Blog Talk in, <clears throat> so we weren't able to get it in. Uh, then last week, uh, Mashaba stepped in for me and did a beautiful, beautiful job uh, on Thursday, man, with his uh, class that he's going over um, entitled uh, The uh, the Birth of Christ, the installment that he dropped, man. I hope y'all are really paying attention to uh, what Mashaba is putting down, man. You, you would be doing yourself a disservice if you were not tuning in and taking notes to the articles and the information the brother's bringing out, man. And I can tell he did some extensive research, extensive research to uh, put that class together, man, and to deliver all that, that information with the edification behind it. So if you haven't been checking them out, man, please check his series out titled uh, Christ's Birth, or I think it's called The Virgin Birth, but dope series, man. Dope series. A lot of great information. Um, the the episodes are packed, packed <laughs> with information. And it's crazy, too, because we were talking and um, telling me that I didn't have to apologize to him for uh, kind of dipping into his topic because I apologize uh, because the Trinity that I'm working on on Thursdays, man, it just took me in a, a big circle back to the virgin birth and paganism, man, because all of it is pretty much the same thing, y'all. But anyway, man, shouts out to Meshava holding it down, and shouts out, y'all, to the 12 tribes scattered worldwide, man. Salute to you, brothers and sisters. Boy, Nick. All right, so I'm going to go ahead and jump into it. Uh, I'm going to get Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9. After this manner, therefore pray ye, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debt as we forgive our debtors. 
and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen, man. So this is the prayer we need to be sent up on the daily, brothers and sisters, so we can get the hell on up out of this demonic place. Let's get Psalms chapter 118, verse 24. This is the day which the Lord had made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. So good or bad, happy, sad, the most high brought you to it, he'll bring you through it, and you'll come out better on the other side because of it. Please believe me. All right, y'all. So this first thing I want to get to actually is from NPR, man. I want y'all to check this out. Let me turn my volume up. Turn the mic on around. All right. So this is in light of everything that's been going on, y'all. Uh, all that's been in the news pretty much, man, is Israel, Gaza, Israel, Palestine, Gaza, Israel, Palestine, Gaza, Israel, Palestine, Gaza, hostages, Slash ten month year old baby slash eighty some year old lady. I'm I'm sick of hearing it. But this is what's going on. And you got our people our people as usual, man. <laughs> right dead center in the smack of all the controversy. Now, I went over this a couple of weeks back, how that this is in fact the controversy of Zion. Like the scriptures tell us, man, the controversy of Zion is you have a group of people that have been going by by name, like it tells us in Deuteronomy 28 chapter, for so long. But these same people that have been going by these by words are, in fact, the children of God, man, are, in fact, the people of the book. We have proven this extensively. You can go back to the archives. We ain't got no problems proving it again. In fact, it's one of our favorite topics <laughs> to prove that so-called blacks, Hispanics, and Native Americans are, in fact, the people of the book, man, God's chosen people. All right? Now, the reason we say black, Hispanic, so-called Native Americans because we're identifying with the people, the brothers and sisters that, are, that were scattered here over in the Western Hemisphere. Is that to say that all Israelites are here in the Western Hemisphere and either so-called black, Hispanic, or Native American? No, that's not what we're saying. Because the scriptures tell us that all of Israel was scattered throughout the four corners of the globe. So you got Israelites everywhere. You got Israelites over in Africa. You got Israelites over in Europe, Asia, Germany. I mean, you name it. Israelites are throughout the four corners, like the scriptures tell us, including Israelites over in Israel. Yes, our brothers and sisters over there in Demona, Israel, those brothers and sisters. Y'all got any information on how those brothers and sisters fare these days? Please inform me. Let me know. I don't know any any brothers and sisters that are over there. I would love to correspond with them to see, you know, what, what's happening, what's going on, to get basically get the truth. Because the media is not giving us the truth. 
But anyway, like I was saying, our people are smack dead in the middle of this war that ain't got nothing to do with us, man. It, it, it do and it don't. It does because you have the so-called airmen, Ishmael's kids, fighting with Esau's kids, the so-called white men, over land that belongs to neither one of them. <laughs> belongs to neither one of them. The rightful owners of the land is us. The Israelites. That's proven all throughout history. Those people who you, we loosely refer to as Jewish, but not the people of the book, they're not God's chosen people. No way, no how. They don't fit the book. Anyway, you got our people in dead smack in the middle of it, choosing sides. A lot of people coming out um, for the Palestinians, trying to defend them, and they really don't understand history. Hell, I ain't even got to go back so far as to say they don't understand history as much as they just ain't using deductive reasoning based off the things that they see in their everyday life. And I say this because who are the ones that set up shop in the hood with the corner stoves or the bodegas, what they call them in New York, and they're selling you the packs. They're selling you the Lucy's. They're selling you the pork, but they don't eat pork because they're Muslims, right? But they're selling it to you, the Arabs. And if y'all aren't familiar with what a pack is, a pack is all the ingredients or all the essential things you need to smoke crack. They hook you up with the pipe, the Brillo pad, all that. I remember back in the day, they used to, I don't know if they still sell, they probably still do, but they would sell you a cigar in a glass uh, pipe. And the pipe was actually a test tube. That's what the pipe was. It was glass and it had a damn lid on it and it had a cigar in there. And you would go buy that and dump the cigar out, split it open and stuff some weed in it and then make a blunt. Why you got the 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 uh, tube, and that's what you would use to rock your crack up in. But this is these are the people that our people are trying to come into the defense of. The same people that's destroying your neighborhoods. The same people that don't care about you. They, they could care less about you, about your black self. They don't care. But, you know, the scriptures tell us in Matthew, the fifth chapter, it says, bless or the meat, for they shall inherit the earth. And the definition for meekness is in doing injury patiently without resentment. Once again, the definition for meek is to endure injury patiently without resentment. If that ain't so-called black and brown people, I don't know what that is. We're the very definition of that because we're the people that will reach across the aisle and say, you know what, it wasn't – my white friend, they didn't. They don't own no slaves. <laughs> we'll be the main people to defend white folks for all the stuff they've done, all the atrocities they've committed against our people. We'll be the first to forgive them. And then now, like I said, we're defending the Arabs. And I got some history I'm going to get to on the Arabs a little bit. I, did, I just read this before, but I'm going to read it again to, refer, to refresh our memories. But our people really, like the scripture says, are sodish. The word sodish means stupid. Anyway, let me get to this first uh, interview 
turn my volume up, y'all. This is from uh, the Texas Standard. This is an interview uh, they had with um, a uh, writer. I guess he's a writer, a reporter. Um, let me just play it, y'all. It's titled, How San Antonio Pastor Wills Political Influence on Behalf of Israel. Here we go. Americans have responded passionately to the war between Israel and Hamas, pressuring politicians and protesting the actions of both sides. Some of the most outspoken supporters of Israel are found in churches like Pastor John Hagee's. Hagee leads Cornerstone Church, a megachurch in San Antonio with more than 10,000 members, and he's a leader in a pro-Israel movement known as Christian Zionism. Right, Christian Zionism, and I'm familiar with Hagee, the damn church, mega church, he, they own is right up the street, right up the street from my crib, man, probably like five, ten minutes. They also have a school set up. Uh, is it only high school? Was it middle? middle? Middle school and high school? Now, the one good thing I can say about them is that they don't play that sodomite stuff. They don't play that gay stuff in their schools, man. It's a good, safe place for uh, your children to go if you don't want them to be exposed to all this sodomite stuff. But let me go on with the article. Texas Monthly staff writer Josh Alvarez recently wrote about Hagee and how he harnesses political power in support of the Jewish state. Josh, welcome to the Texas Standard. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Uh, before we get into Hagee specifically and what you observed uh, at the service that you went to in support of Israel, uh, can you tell us about Christian Zionism as as a concept? What are what are its goals and and what do its supporters uh, what are sort of their, the, the main tenets of their beliefs? Sure, uh, Christian Zionism has a deep history that actually goes back um, even to the 1800s, if not even earlier. The general idea is that um, these are Christians, and it's not all Christians, it's a particular um, thread within Christianity that believes that Jews are the chosen people um, and that the uh, covenant that they made with God in Genesis um, still holds um, today, uh, that, that Jews have a particular uh, claim to uh, their biblical land um, of, of Israel um, as outlined in the Bible. They're correct. <laughs> They're absolutely correct. They got the wrong people. That's the only thing they're wrong about. Now, if you're unfamiliar with this uh, Christian Zionism approach, uh, there are a lot of Christians that, and that's going to get into in the interview, they actually support Israel and send funds over to his, to Israel to help them fund their wars and uh, uh, various other things. But these Christians, they'll tell you that we're Gentiles, but those are God's chosen people. <laughs> Anyway, going on with the interview. In the Old Testament. So, you know, within Christian Zionism, there's, there's different kinds of threads of, of, uh, of interpretation. Of, 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 but the general gist of it is that um, the resettlement of, of the ancient kingdom of Israel is, is an essential uh, component uh, to create the conditions for the return of Jesus, um, for, for his return, and, and then for the beginning of the end times. So... Uh, in, in that regard, um, Christian Zionism, you know, Zionism broadly agree on that. To the extent to what happens at the end times is, is where things vary. Uh, as I wrote in my piece, the most extreme um, 
you know, Christian Zionists believe that uh, once uh, Jews reclaim this land of theirs, that Jesus will return, and then, you know, right-thinking Christians and uh, therefore Jews who repent um, and then convert to Christianity uh, will be uh, raptured to heaven and and uh, leave everybody else to uh, uh, suffer the wrath of Armageddon. This is what the Christians believe. <laughs> they, I don't know if y'all heard that, but they believe that once the, the Jewish people are in their land, then that's when Christ is coming back. Two things wrong with that statement. The first thing is this. Those Jewish people don't even believe in Christ. <laughs> That's the first thing. The second thing is they've been in the land since before 1948. Actually, they've been in the land since about 1917. But why Christ ain't came back yet? <laughs> why he, I ain't seen him. And we know that the scriptures tell us that a lot of stuff has to transpire. Christ even gets back. And then it tells us that when Christ comes back, tell it in Jeremiah, I think it is, it calls Christ, the, it says the destroyer of the Gentiles, the word Gentile meaning nation, is on his way. <laughs> so I haven't seen Christ come out of the sky, and I haven't seen Gentiles being killed by Christ. So... That's problematic to say that once the Jews are in their land, because according to y'all, they're already in their land, that Christ is coming back. So that's very problematic. Anyway, let me play the rest of the interview. To Pastor Haggy's interpretation, he's a little he's less extreme in that he holds that it's, uh, Jews, Jews are chosen um, and that's permanent, that there's, in other words, there's always going to be a place in the kingdom of heaven for Jews, that there's no, um, you know, conversion. Uh, required. Got it. To what extent has Pastor Hagee uh, been the leader of this movement, or a leader? He, he started this. Uh, it's called the Night to Honor Israel. It's this, and this was the event that I attended. Um, he, he started it 43 years ago. It, it, it started off small, but uh, this sort of uh, interpretation, this theological interpretation that Hagee, um, you know, was was offering, um, picked up. Great biggest bit of steam uh, within a few decades, and and really that the popularity of this event, this Night to Honor Israel, which is not really a church service, it's it's almost a kind of an affirmation um, of the, a Christian evangelical affirmation of you know supporting Israel with this theology in mind that um, that to support Israel is to is to be um, you know performing a holy duty. Um, the popularity of that event is actually what led to the creation of uh, this lobby organization um, called Christians United for Israel, which appears to be the, the most powerful pro-Israel lobby in the United States, and quite possibly one of the biggest lobbies in the country with, um, as, as Pastor Aggie says, uh, a membership uh, exceeding 10 million uh, Americans, uh, which is which is quite significant. That's a lot of people. So this has led him to become uh, I describe him as, as a, a Republican kingmaker of sorts, and, and Republicans are paying attention. Quite prominent figures in the party have been appearing at these events um, and at, at Kufi, um, you know, Christian United for Israel uh, events through over the years. Uh, you know, and, it, and Israeli politicians, for that matter, are aware of the power of this organization as well. 
you know, Benjamin Netanyahu himself uh, gave a taped address uh, to the 2019 uh, Kufi summit held in Washington, D.C. And in this year's Night to Honor Israel event, you know, you had two Israeli diplomats, including the uh, permanent representative to the United Nations, Gilad Erdan. I hope you all seeing how much power influence these people have. That's my purpose for, for playing this and to clarify some things. I'm going to play the rest of y'all. It's probably about uh, probably three minutes left for this. If you don't mind, can you describe uh, what the Night to Honor Israel uh, was like, the one that you attended recently? Sure. Uh, and I just want to clarify, too, that, you know, this event started in San Antonio, but they're now these events are now held all around the country across many, many evangelical churches host them. Um, they are organized and sponsored by uh, Kufi, but – uh, but the originator, the progenitor of all of them is, was held here in San Antonio and, and with Pastor Haggy. So I, I went to uh, this year's event, and it's usually held in late October. Um, and it, so it just so happened the timing of it, you know, was such that it was, it was held just shortly after the October 7th um, pogrom uh, uh, perpetrated by Hamas. So typically these events, again, are just pretty straightforward um, reaffirmations uh, of, of the, this evangelical movement's commitment to Israel. But this time, um, it, of course, carried a, an enormous emotional weight of what had just happened. And so the, you know, the mood was, was much different um, in that regard. And, uh, uh, you know, the speakers really just focused on the necessity of maximal support for Israel in its war uh, against Hamas. And this is where the, uh, uh, the, the political goals and the theological goals of Christian Zionists, um, you know, enter into a, a fraught place because uh, it's, this is obviously a complicated you know, issue, which you know, not only involves a war against a militant group, but because of Gaza and the way that um, it's, it's so tightly populated, with two million people in a very small space, uh, there's obvious you know, concerns around Palestinian civilians and, and their fate. But in, in this event, it was rather remarkable and and I, I couldn't help but note that uh, this was something that was not really given much consideration. It was, it was the, the focus was really, you know, that the U.S. must provide any and all means uh, for Israel to do whatever it has to do uh, in order to achieve victory uh, through whatever means necessary. Josh Alvarez is a staff writer for. You know, hear that? <laughs> and you know what I was scratching my head about too um, was how. They immediately sent funds over to help Israel fight Hamas. Now, I don't know if y'all remember, but probably about not even a month ago, they were uh, talking about a government shutdown and everybody was panicking, saying that Ukraine was not going to have money to keep fighting their war against Russia, and they needed to vote on whether or not they would give them more money, but the government was, they weren't seeing eye to eye, and they was on the verge of a shutdown. But as soon as this stuff broke out with Israel, they immediately sent money over there. This is the influence and the pull that these people have. Now, read this right here. Tell them where you're reading from. From the International Jew by Henry Ford. Now, what else does it say? I'm sorry. The International Jew, the world's foremost problem. Now, this is this an ex-president. Henry Ford, the, the, the uh, owner, creator, inventor of Ford Motor Company. Ex-president, he said that the Jewish people was what? 
the world's foremost problem. This Esau on Esau. He said that these people are a problem. Now, let's find out why he said they, one of the reasons he said they were a problem. So read the head and tell them what page you're reading from. Page 85, does a definite Jewish world program exist? Now, this is the question. Do they really control stuff? Is there a program that they're running with? Read. In all the explanations of anti-Jewish feelings, which modern Jewish spokesmen make, these three alleged causes are commonly given. These three and no more. So what he's about to tell you is the reason, three, the three main reasons people say they don't like the Jewish people, you know? Religious prejudice. <laughs> this is what they use, religious prejudice. Read. Economic jealousy. Economic jealousy, because they own everything. Read on. Social antipathy. Social antipathy. <laughs> Read on. Whether the Jew knows it or not, every Gentile knows that on his side of the Jewish question, no religious prejudice exists. They say ain't nobody tripping over y'all religion. Read on. Economic jealousy may exist. They say economic jealousy may exist. And it's going to explain why. Read. At least to the extent that his uniform success has exposed the Jew to much scrutiny. A few Jewish spokesmen seek to turn this scrutiny by denying that the Jew is preeminent in finance. So, so yeah, they have Jewish people that try to deny that the Jewish people are preeminent in finance, that they, they try to deny that they don't run everything. You know, just like when, when Ye came out, and was telling everybody, hey, man, they own everything. They came at him quickly, shut him down, took his money, everything. That's the power they possess. Read. But this is loyalty in extremity. The finances of the world are in control of Jews. Can you read that part again? The finances of the world are in control of Jews. They run the world. Read. Their decisions and their devices are themselves our economic law. Whoa. Read that part again. Their decisions and their devices are themselves our economic law. The decisions they make, everybody follows their law. Read. But because a people excels us in finance is no sufficient reason for calling them to the bar of public judgment. All right, now let's get Genesis chapter 27. We're going to start at verse 38. And Esau said, All right, read that. Genesis 27:38. And Esau said unto his father, Hast thou but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the story, this is the story about Jacob and Esau and their father Isaac. This was right before Isaac died. He was giving out blessings to his sons. Now, customarily, the oldest son was supposed to get the bigger blessing. Esau, the so-called white man, actually sold his birthright to his brother, Jacob, for some food. 
So he was not even entitled to his birthright because he had sold it. Well, the mom knew the situation, plus she had got a premonition from the Most High about the two boys, and she dressed Jacob up like Esau. So so Jacob got Esau's blessing. And this is Esau coming in after, after everything went down, the aftermath, and now he's asking for a blessing. Read on. Oh, my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Now, he's crying over, a, once again, a birthright that he had sold. But now he's crying over it. This is the so-called white man. He's, he's, he's a child. He has a child-like mentality. He don't want something until somebody else wants Read on. And Isaac, his father, answered and said unto him, Behold, thy dwelling shall be the fatness of the earth. What was Esau's blessing? The fatness of the earth. Meaning he was going to have the best of the globe. This is why he's in every country. This is why here in America we can sit up and be eating down nectarines and pineapples in January. (laughs) These fruits are out of season. But how are we able to do this? Because he owns everything. And look, I brought up fruit. Who owns these fruit companies? Dole? No no Dole fruit, right? Go and look up Dole fruit and the, uh, the, the chokehold they had on Hawaii for his uh, fruit, for his pineapples. Or look up the, what is it, the Shakia banana? Look that up. All controlled by Esau, man. Most of the wars that are fought over in these foreign countries are not fought. ain't got nothing to do with government. It's got everything to do with corporation. Everything. This is what they do. But we're reading in the Bible that this was the blessing that the Most High gave them. Read that part again. And Isaac, his father, answered and said unto him, Behold, thy dwelling shall be the fatness of the earth. The fa- you will have the best of the earth, the best of the best. Read. And of the dew of heaven from above. Mm-hmm. And by thy sword. By the what? By thy sword. And how they get all the blessings that they got? By thy sword. Yes, also known as colonialism. Because they come in, what they can't outright steal, they'll kill you for it, then take it. Like Matthew, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, Matthew 10 and 10. A thief coming not but for the steal, kill, and destroy. Or the Matthew, no, St. John 10 and 10. A thief coming not but for the steal, kill, and destroy. This is what they're known for, but this was their blessing. So you ask, why do they run the world? This is why. Read on. And by thy sword shalt thy live, and shalt serve thy brother. They live by the sword. This is how they got all their resources, by their weaponry, by their army. You can go back. If it wasn't the, uh, the Greek army and their weaponry, it was the Romans and their army and their weaponry. Now we're in the latter end of the Greco-Roman Empire known as America. And this is how... They get all their goods through their army. 
Let 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 a country here that America gonna send their troops in. Man, they hurry up and make a deal. They hurry up and send ambassadors. They hurry up and send negotiators. This is what this is what they was blessed with. Now, I don't know if y'all knew this, but and I'm gonna go ahead and bring it out. There are levels to the Edomites. There are levels to the Edomites. These so-called Jews, these nominals, matter of fact, let's get that. Give me uh, Revelation chapter 2, and it might be 3 and 9. Let me check real quick. This is not a breakdown on Esau either, y'all. Yeah, Revelations 3 and 9. We done went over this breakdown proving that uh, Esau is the so-called white man. But this is not a breakdown on Esau being the so-called white man. I'm just showing y'all that there's levels. Just like uh, there's 12 tribes of Israel, there's different tribes of Edomites. You can go back to Genesis, I believe, the 36th chapter, and read about all the dukes and stuff of Esau. There's different levels of Edomites. But the the Jewish man, those Edomites, they're the chief tribe of the Edomites. Read this. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan. The synagogue. Synagogue, synagogue means chief house. <laughs> so Christ said that this is the chief house of Satan. Read. Which say they are Jews. And who did he say the chief of them was? Which say they are Jews. There's only one group of white folks running around talking about they the Jews. And it's the Jewish people. They're the chief house of Satan. They're the chief of the Edomites. That's why they run everything. Read. Say they are the Jews, are Jews, and are not. Mm-hmm. But do lie. Uh-huh. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet. The, the Most High Christ said he's going to make them come and worship before our feet. Read. And to know that I have loved thee. <laughs> that he's loved us and only us. And he's hated them, despised them. Is that it? Yeah, that's it for that verse. All right, now go back to that book, uh, The International Jew, mm-hmm. and go to page 189. It should be highlighted. It's not highlighted. From the International Jew, The World's Foremost Problem by Henry Ford, page 189. There were times during the war when no Gentile knew what was going on in certain countries. The Jewish leaders always knew. Now, this is talking about World War One. I'm not going to read all of this. But this in, in this uh, chapter, it talks about how uh, Nicholas Rothschild knew uh, that knew the the outcome of World War Two. I'm sorry, World War One before it even happened. He already knew the outcome, but he told nobody about it, and he immediately went to the stock markets and he sold all his stock. 
and he caused such a panic that everybody else sold all their stock while he had his uh, assistant buy all the stock that they were selling because he knew the outcome of the war. Right, basically inside of trading. So read that. There were times during the war when no Gentile knew what was going on in certain countries. The Jewish leaders always knew. But they always knew. See, and it ain't coincidence. Remember what the Most High said, they won't have the fatness of the earth. It's not a coincidence. Read. Some very interesting testimony can be presented on that point. Aside from its own interest, this Rothschild narrative fully illustrates the statement that while the Jews were very early news gatherers, they were not publicists. They used the news for their own benefit. They did what? Used the news for their own benefit. So y'all keep that in mind when y'all looking at these media publications and the news that y'all being brought. They're telling you what to think, telling you how to feel. It's a control mechanism. Pull, pull on your emotions. Pull on your heart, your, uh, your heartstrings. And I'm talking about both sides of the news. The news about the Palestinians. The news about the the uh, Israelis. Both sides. They control it all. Read. They did not disseminate it. If it had depended on their influences, their influence, there would have been no public press at all. It was in France, which had no newspapers outside the capital that the French Revolution was possible. There being no reliable exchange of news and opinion, the people were kept in ignorance. Because news is a very important, uh, a very important part of anything. And essentially what news is is communication. And, you know, you can't even be in a relationship if there's no communication. They understood this. Read. Paris itself did not know the Bastille had fallen until the next day. Where there is no press, minorities easily gain control. As the Jewish Bolshevist revolution in Russia illustrates. One of the most dangerous... Let me skip this. No, that's it. That's it. Okay. Uh, page 190. Mm-hmm. You on there? Mm-hmm. Just the highlights. Okay, yeah, read the highlights. But the press being in existence and being largely an Anglo-Saxon creation, it is a force not to be treated lightly. Right. A lot of people refer to this, the press as the fourth branch of the government because it's that influential. Read. And that, it, and that is the point where the world program and Jewish control come in contact with it. No doubt. As early as the second protocol, the press comes in for attention. It is significant that it makes its appearance in the same protocol in which the no annexations program was announced 20 years before the World War, in the same protocol in which it is announced that Gentile rulers will be allowed to appear before the people for a short period. While Jewish influences were organizing themselves behind the seats of power. Behind where? The seats of power. They're behind the scenes. You don't see these people. It's just like, I don't know if y'all remember the whole Hollywood campaign after Ye came out and said what he said. You had other actors and people and said, I mean, everybody knows that you don't talk about those people. 
They wouldn't name them by name, but you knew what they was talking about. You can't say nothing about those people because those people control everything, but they're behind the scenes. We don't. And in the same protocol where Darwinism, Marxism, and Nietzscheism are claimed among the most demoralizing doctrines which Jewish influence has disseminated. Jewish influence has done what? Disseminated. They have their hand in all of it. And these are just doctrines that they name philosophical doctrines. So you don't think they have their hand in religion, y'all? We already read about uh, Pastor Hagee and the whole little movement across the country to help support Christians for, for uh, what is it, Zionism? We already read about that. This is the influence that they have. Read. These are very curious, but not stranger than the actuality that has come to pass. Says the second protocol, there is one great force in the hands of modern government, which creates thought, movements among people, that is, the press. The what? The press. The press. That it? The presumed role of the press is to indicate supposedly indispensable needs to register popular complaints and to create discontent. The triumph of, quote, unquote, free speech. Now, hold on, y'all. It said one of the roles of the press was to create a need for something. For example, do y'all remember uh, during the uh, pandemic when uh, they was running out of damn toilet paper and all that stuff? What did it do? It drove people to go buy damn toilet paper. <laughs> oh, we go. We they ain't gonna have none. We gotta get up there. You know it's crazy. I talked to somebody who worked at HEB, and they said, "Man, we had plenty of toilet paper. We gonna we weren't gonna run out. The problem was we didn't have enough people at work to stock the shelves. That was that was, that was never a damn toilet paper shortage." Pretty. The triumph of free speech babbling rests in the press, but governments are unable to profit by this power, and it has fallen into our hands. Through, through it, we have attained influence while remaining in the shadow. Thanks to it, we have amassed gold, though it has cost us torrents of blood and tears. <laughs> That's from the Jewish point of view. Now, the reason I'm bringing all of this up, because this links with this right here, y'all. Check this out. Well, tonight, a woman faces charges after police say she crashed her car into a north side building with a Hebrew Israelite symbol on the front door. INPD says the woman told officers she did it on purpose. WRTV's Rachel Wilkerson spoke to the owners of the building located near 35th and Keystone Avenue who claimed they were attacked. Surveillance video from the Israelite School of Universal Practical Knowledge, or UPK, showed the car pulled into the parking lot Friday, stopped, and then moved forward. It stops recording as the owner says the woman reversed and crashed into the building. Indianapolis Metropolitan Police says the woman told officers she purposely did this because of a Hebrew Israelite symbol on the door and referenced her, quote, people back in Palestine. So that's a common misconception that we are affiliated with them in any type of way, that our holy signet, that our holy shield, the shield of, date of King David that represents Christ our King, which is associated with the Israeli or the Jewish population, 
which we have no affiliation with. Kaposh says four children and a father were inside at the time of the crash. No one was injured, and the woman was charged with criminal recklessness. The FBI and Metro Police are investigating. They're going to be looking for any federal nexus in terms of the crimes that were committed. Uh, they'll be working closely with local police to determine what's the appropriate level of prosecution. Brad Swim is the regional security advisor for the Jewish Federation of Greater Indianapolis. He says these type of attacks are on the rise nationwide. There's obviously a, a lot of concern even before this weekend. There was heightened, we, we've seen um, increased incidents of anti-Semitism across the country. It's catching a lot of people off guard. My organization, the Secure Community Network, um, has seen a 200% increase in anti-Semitic incidents in October of this year compared to the same month last year. The Israelite School of UPK says it's been targeted three times since October. Since the war started in the Middle East, since October 7th, um, and one of them has been defacing our signs and insignias, and now it is, it is becoming more rampant. That's why we wanted to reach out to the Palestinian community and let them know to not uh, point any hostilities to this direction. So uh, for this particular person, that symbol was a bullseye. Uh, and that bullseye, although inaccurate, is a warning sign to all of us. Rachel Wilkerson, WRTV. The organization. All right, so. <laughs> What perfect reason would they need right now, man, to wage war on us? And when I say us, I'm talking about us Hebrew Israelites, man. This is the perfect excuse for them to rage war on us because in a war, you have to have a bad guy. You have to have a protagonist. You have to have an antagonist. And... Those people are fighting over there in uh, Gaza right now. So you can't touch them. You can't put your hands on them. But <laughs> you can put your hands on people that's, that's identifying as being Jew or Jewish, walking around with the star of the shield of David. You can put your hands on them. So this right here, y'all, I brought this out. This kind of kind of like a FYI. Hey, you better be uh, watching. Observe the times. You better walk circumspectly to our people because, like I said, this is the perfect excuse for them to put a bullseye on our back. But don't be scared because the scriptures told us that this was going to happen. Let's get Revelation chapter 12, verse 17. Revelation 12 and 17. And the dragon was wroth with the woman. Now, I'm not going to break this whole chapter down, but the dragon that is talking about is talking about Esau, the so-called white man. Because the dragon is what color? When you think of the dragon, what color do you think of the dragon? Right. You automatically think of red. And it tells you in this same chapter that the dragon was red. So it's talking about him, the only person on the face of the planet that's the color of red, that's a shade of red. It ain't talking about no mystical animal. It's not. The Bible talks in um, in parables, and the, and the Bible is a book of prophecies. This is one of the prophecies. So read it again. And the dragon was wroth with the woman. So the so-called white man was wroth with the woman, the woman being us. Because it tells us uh, at the beginning of this chapter, it talks about a woman 
uh, about to give birth to a child, and that's a dual fall prophecy. Prophecy talking about Christ's mother giving birth to him, and him him being in danger from birth, and talking about us, the Israelites, being the sons and daughters of uh, the uh, the you know. And went to make war with the remnant of her seed. And they're going to do what? Make war with the remnant of her seed. Us that are left here, that are still here in the belly of the beast, that do what? Which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. We keep the laws and we believe in the principles of Christ. This is who's going to, who the dragon, who the so-called white man is going to make war with. So don't, like the scripture tells in Peter, don't think it's strange concerning these uh, fiery trials which ought to try you. We shouldn't think it's strange. This is going to happen. Now let, me, now let me get Revelations 11 and 7. And when they shall have finished their testimony, us, read, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit. This beast is still talking about the same dragon as in chapter 12. He's also known as a beast. So he sent it out of the bottomless pit, talking about the bottomless pit of Europe, read. Shall make war against them. Shall do what? Make war against them. When did the so-called white man come out of that bottomless pit during the Renaissance era? This is when the, the word Renaissance means rebirth. And when he came out, it was hell to pay. Because remember what we just read in uh, Genesis, the, 20, the 27th chapter, matter of fact, Hold this and go back to Genesis chapter 27 and read verse 40 again. And by thy sword shalt thou live. So this was Isaac telling Esau by the sword he was going to live, read. And shalt serve thy brother. And he's going to do what to his brother? Serve thy brother. Who was his brother? Jacob, the Israelites. It says we were going to get served by our older brother, but we were going to get served by that sword. Like I said, this goes hand in hand, Revelation chapter 11 and verse 7. Read that again. 11 and verse 7. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit. That's Esau coming up out of Europe uh, during the Renaissance era, the age of exploration. Because how how did he conquer and colonize all those places that he he went to? By the sword. This is when he raised up and they became superpowers. This is when they got uh, immense wealth, when they colonialized all the places in Central and South America and all over the globe and was getting all those natural resources. Y'all remember, um, what was it, about six months? It might have been a year. When did the queen die, the queen of England? Probably about a year. And y'all remember that sister that worked at that uh, university came out and said that she hoped she died and she rotted in hell, basically. And she was from Africa, and she was talking about the colonization Mm -hmm. (laughs) that happened that took place in Africa. And that's just on one continent. You can hear the same story from people that live in India. You hear the same exact story from them. You hear the same exact story from people in China. They colonized them, too. The same exact story from people in Central and South America that speak Spanish. And then uh, the people that's uh, in the islands, I'm sorry, uh, the people in the islands that speak uh, English, and I'm talking about the islands of Barbados, 
Jamaica, um, the Caymans, because they speak English over there, Belize, because <laughs> all those places were colonized by who? The English. But they ain't just talking about the English here, the bottomless pit, it's talking about Europe as a whole. They had no natural resources. That's why they had to the, the explore and colonize places. So it's talking about the Spanish, the French, the Portuguese, the Dutch, the Italians, all of them collectively. It says when they come out of the bottom, ascend out of the bottomless pit, read, shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. And this is what they did. And I know I brought this book out dozens of times, but it's called Open Veins of Latin America, man. Read the book. The brother's very detailed with all the atrocities committed against the people of Central and South America and the people here in North America as well. But the Most High told us that these were things were going to happen. Let's get Matthew chapter 10, verse 22. And this is still going on, y'all. The war against us has been going on, like, like the scripture says, since they crawled out of that pit, actually before. Because remember, Jacob and Esau was fighting in the womb. But the war continues. The major war, the primary war, is the war between them and us. All these other wars are proxy wars. Read that. Matthew 10 and 22. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. Christ told us this. We're going to be hated. All nations are going to hate us for Christ's name's sake. This is why you show somebody the color of Christ, show them he's a, he a brother, he a black man, and they say what? Are y'all, y'all, y'all are racist. Y'all teach hate speech. Y'all anti this, y'all anti that. But this is the truth of the book. Christ was a black man. That's proven uh, historically and biblically. Read. But he that endureth to the end shall be saved. You got to endure to the end, sisters and brothers, brothers and sisters. The end is not yet. Remember, Matthew chapter 24, let's go there. Matthew 24 and verse 9. Christ told us that. This is the all these things must come to pass, but this is not the end. And he named some horrific stuff in the whole chapter. You like, damn, this is the end. He said, Nope, this is the beginning. <laughs> Read verse eight. Matthew chapter twenty four, verse eight. Then shall they deliver you up uh -uh, verse eight. Excuse me. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Now, that's from verse 1 all the right way down to verse 8, and he named a whole bunch of stuff from verse 1 to verse 7 that was going to transpire and happen. But he said these are the beginning of sorrows. This is just the beginning, y'all. Read. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted. Then we're going to start getting shipped off to be afflicted. Read. And shall kill you. Mm -hmm. And ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. It's coming. Prepare yourself. Girt yourself. Get ready, y'all. It's on the way. All right. Let's get uh, this book. This is the last thing I'm going to get before I jump into the class. See a tropical Africa, page 80. Quickly, please. Because I did... Uh, Drop some salt on the Arabs, and I have to prove what I was saying. Yeah, page 80. Read the highlights. Tropical Africa from the Life World Library, mm -hmm. page 80. 
with their invasion yep. of North Africa, the Arabs fastened their grip on the trans-Saharan slave trade the traffic. On the trans-Saharan slave traffic. The trans-Saharan. So before it was the Middle Passage, before it was a transatlantic slave trade, there was a sub-Saharan slave trade sponsored and orchestrated by the Arabs. You know, the people that y'all talk about, oh, they shouldn't do the people like that. Oh, they're killing them. <laughs> we ain't got nothing to do with that. This is what they did to our people. Read on. Infiltrating the continent both from the east and the north, they organized the trade at its sources of supply. The tribes of the hinterlands until finally the Arab slaver became a familiar ogre even among the peoples of Central Africa. The first to organize the international slave trade, the Arabs were the last to give it up. They were the what? Last to give it up. You know, y'all, that they still selling slaves on the low? They still doing this. These are the same people y'all trying to cry about. Y'all wanted to, I will pray for them. No, we shouldn't be on either side. That ain't our business. Let them duke it out. Everybody, y'all just chill, sit back, keep looking at it, lay in the cut. Get you a bowl of popcorn. Watch the fight. And in Saudi Arabia to this day, although now discreetly and in masqueraded form, slaveholding and slave trading still exist. On the low. Nevertheless, it was not pagan Africans nor Muslim Arabs who made the slave trade the monumental enterprise it became, but Christian Europeans. Christian Europeans. So the, the Arabs basically found it, but good old Christian white folks turned it into the billion-dollar industry that it became. All right, that's all I want from that, y'all. So, y'all, uh, that's about my hour of news, current events. Um, they're pretty good, too, on the timing. We're going to take a brief, brief uh, intermission and come back with the class titled Never Wax Pell, Martyrs for the Good News. That goes hand-in-hand what we just read already. All right, y'all, we'll be right back.
All right, y'all, we back. We back. We back. Sorry about that. All right, so we're back with the class titled uh, Martyrs for the Good News. And the uh, last segment that I did, I was going over um, how the, the apostles were teaching the dispersive Israel, also known as the Gentiles, and uh, a lot of his a lot of history that was transpiring uh, during those times. And we're going to uh, continue here. We're going to get into uh, the disciples and how they were martyred. All right, so let's get Acts chapter 8, and we're going to start at verse 1. And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Now, it says that Saul was consenting unto his death. He was consenting unto Stephen's death. Read on. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made a great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. So this was Saul locking people up, man. Saul, who also known as Paul, was putting people in the clank, believers of Christ in the clank. Now, let's get uh, Caesar and Christ, page 579. We're going to get a little uh, backstory on Saul, who was also named, who was also called Paul. So from Caesar and Christ by Will Durant, page 579. The persecutor, excuse me, Paul, the persecutor. The founder of Christian theology was born at Tarsus in Cilicia, about the 10th year of our era. His father was a Pharisee and brought up the youth in the fervent principles of that sect. Now, they try to say that Paul Paul started Christianity or Saul started Christianity. That is not true. (laughs) Because we know that Paul was not one of the original 12 disciples that travel with Yahweh Shah. And Christianity itself is not a religion at all. It just means to be a follower of Christ. But my point is that there were already men following Christ before Paul hopped up on the scene. So how could he be the founding father of Christianity? (laughs) Anyway, read on. The apostle of the Gentiles never ceased to consider himself a Pharisee even after he had rejected the Judaic law. Now, it's quite a few interesting things here. Where did it say that Paul was from? Born at Tarsus in Cilicia. So Paul was living in Tarsus in Cilicia, and that was uh, that would be modern day Turkey. <laughs> so Paul was not born in Jerusalem. Paul was an Israelite. He was part of the diaspora, y'all. And that's what I want to get to. He's part of the diaspora, and then he was called the apostle to the Gentiles. Why was he the apostle to the Gentiles? Because he himself was of the Gentiles. He was part of the diaspora, or the dispersion. So read on. The father was also a Roman citizen. His daddy was a what? Roman citizen. This, these are Israelites. 
but they were Roman citizens. Read. And transmitted the precious franchise to his son. Probably the name Paul was the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew Saul. So that both Go ahead. So that both names belong to the apostle from infancy. Both names, they was what? They belong him to from what? From infancy. I'm sorry. Go back up, man. I skipped the part. Go back up to where it says uh, Judaic or Judiac. Did you read that part yet? Yes. Read that part again. His father was a Pharisee and brought up the youth in the fervent principles of that sect. The apostle of the Gentiles never ceased to consider himself a Pharisee even after he had rejected the Judaic law. Now, they said that Paul rejected the Judaic law. That's a damn lie. Let's go to Romans chapter 3 and read verse 31. I have to straighten this out. You know, a lot of these books you get, man, great information, but then they be throwing their own little opinions in. So I just want to prove this this fact wrong. But this book is a reliable source of, of some information, not all. Read. Romans 3 and 31. Do we then make void the law through faith? Now, who is this speaking? This is Paul. The one they that book said <laughs> he gave the law up. He's not practicing the law. But Paul said, "What do we then make void the law through faith?" Read. God forbid. Read. Yay, we establish the law. No, but Paul gave the law up. He said, "What did he say?" Yay, we establish the law. Paul said, "Man, we established the law, so you didn't give nothing up." Hope everybody see this. Now let's go back. The father was also a Roman citizen and transmitted the precious franchise to his son. Mm -hmm. Probably the name Paul was the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew Saul, so that both names belonged to the apostle from infancy. All right. Um, Let's get... Acts chapter 13 and verse 9. Then Saul, who also is called Paul. Let's read it again. Then Saul, who also is called Paul. So Paul had two names. And we read in that book, uh, Paul was the equivalent of Saul, or Paul was the uh, the Greek equivalent to uh, the Hebrew Saul. And we find here in Acts chapter 13 that Paul, or Saul, was also called what? Then Saul, who also is called Paul, mm-hmm. filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him. So Paul or Saul had both names. Now, contrary to popular belief, (laughs) the Christian doctrine, they say that Christ changed Paul's name 
or his name was changed. You don't read that in the scriptures. That never happened. His name was never changed. <laughs> read this. From clearcreekresources.org. It's a myth. Paul wasn't Saul's Christian name. What did they say? Paul wasn't Saul's Christian name. That's a myth. <laughs> read. Dated September 15, 2020. In article, Bible by Yancey Arrington. Let's make this short and sweet. God didn't change the apostle's name from Saul to Paul when the man from Tarsus became a Christian. That's a myth far too many Christians believe, and more unfortunately, far too many pastors have taught Christians to believe. The truth is Saul and Paul were both the apostles' names well before his conversion to Christianity on the Damascus Road. We are two sources saying that he had both names, y'all. And that's not uncommon because, remember, Peter was also called uh, Cephas. Christ called, <laughs> Christ called him Peter, did other times he called him Cephas. So, and then all the rest of the, the disciples and the apostles, they had two names too. Does it sound familiar, y'all? <laughs> Just like we. <laughs> we got our Jake name. We call our Jake name. Then we got our Israelite name. <laughs> Ain't nothing new under the sun, y'all. Nothing new under the sun. And then this will make sense because, remember, uh, during the Greek captivity under Alexander and then uh, that whole uh, dynasty, the Seleucid dynasty, um, during the Antiochus times, that a lot of Israelites converted, willingly converted to the Greek custom. Remember the Hesmonian dynasty? When they started taking on Greek names as opposed to Israelite names? Remember that? So this was still going on all the way up during the time of uh, Paul. Real? Like Jews living in the Roman Empire, Paul had two names. His Hebrew name was Saul. His Roman name, a Latinized version of Saul, Paul. Paul likely deferred to his Roman name, in, for example, in his letters, because he primarily ministered to the Roman world, which included both Gentiles and Hellenistic Jews. Now, let me stop you there. When it says the Roman world, Gentiles, and Hellenistic Jews, it's talking about Israelites that grew up in these Roman places as Gentiles. Read on. He was just being a good missionary. If a Jewish name might be a potential hang-up for some of his audience, then he would merely refer to himself by his other name. And this makes sense because Paul said, I became all things to all men so I might help save some of them. So he was a very clever brother. Read. It was as simple as that. In his commentary on Acts 13 concerning the Saul-Paul element, Dr. John B. Polhill, professor of New Testament at Southern Seminary, writes, in verse 9, Luke identified, in verse 9, Luke identified Saul by his Roman name, so-called Paul. From this point on in Acts, the name Paul appears, whereas before it had been, been Saul. The only exceptions hereafter are Paul's recounting his, his conversion experience when he repeated the call of Jesus to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? 
And this is accurate with all of the books because you only hear him call Saul, like he just explained, <laughs> in Acts chapter uh, 13 and 9, Acts chapter 8, and then all his letters, he don't refer to himself as Saul. He refers to himself as Paul, all his epistles. You know? Why did Luke change the designation at this point? Paul was now entering Greco-Roman territory as he worked on Cyprus, no longer working primarily among Palestinian Jews. He almost certainly had both names. No doubt. And what's interesting about this is, if y'all didn't notice, Luke was actually Paul's scribe. Luke wrote Acts. (laughs) Luke wrote a lot of Paul's letters. Read on. Paul was his Roman cognomen, and every Roman citizen had such a name. It would be the name natural to every Greek and Roman who crossed his path. Paul also had a Hebrew name called a signum, an additional name used within his own community. It was Saul, the same name as the ancient Jewish king, who was also a Benjamite, this signum, Saul, was surely that use of him in Jewish circles. So he was named after King Saul, the Benjamite. And coincidentally, Paul, Paul himself was a Benjamite. Mm-hmm. Now let's go back to uh, Caesar and Christ, page 579. And I want you to read to uh, Gamliel. He did not receive a classical education, for no Pharisee would have permitted such outright Hellenism in his son. So, meaning Paul didn't learn from the Greeks. He didn't receive a Hellenized education. He learned from his father. So he he learned the Hebrew way, the Hebrew-Israelite way. That was his education. Read. And no man with Greek training would have written the bad Greek of the epistles. <laughs> they say if Paul was classically trained, as they call it, Greek trained and brought up in Greek schools, he would have had better Greek writing. And this is what they say about the New Testament. They say it was wrote in very bad Greek. The Greek that uh, we were using and, and speaking during that time is called Cohen, Cohen Greek. So this is what they're referring to. Read on. Nevertheless, he learned to speak the language with sufficient fluency to address an Athenian audience, and he occasionally referred to famous passages in Greek literature. We may believe that some Stoic theology and ethics passed from the university environment of Tarsus into the Christianity of Paul. Anyway, read. So he uses the Stoic term pneuma, breath, for what his English translators call spirit. Like most Greek cities, Tarsus had followers of the Orphic or other mystery religions who believed that the God they worshipped had died for them, had risen from the grave, and would, if appealed to by lively faith and proper ritual, save them from Hades and share with them his gift of eternal and blessed life. Now, I already went over this how. Paganism was the basically the world religion, man. 
So the whole world had a story about a man dying for his people, about a virgin, so-called virgin giving birth to a savior. All the whole world had this story. This was nothing unique. But the story that they had was based off of Semiramis and Nimrod, which is all mythology. Read. The, the mystery religions prepared the Greeks for Paul and Paul for the Greeks. And what they're saying is because the whole world had this concept of a savior being born for their people, then it was e more easily digested when Paul went out on his missionary journey and he was teaching Israelites that Christ was that savior, that he resurrected from the dead. It wasn't hard for them to, to believe that because a lot of our people was pagan anyway. But he had to show them through the scriptures that Christ was the Messiah. He was the Savior of the Israelites, not the whole world. Read on. After the youth had learned the trade of tent making and had received instruction in the local synagogue, his father sent him to Jerusalem, where Paul tells us he was educated at the feet of Gamaliel. Right. So Paul, his trade was tent making. Let's go to Acts chapter uh, 22. We're going to start at verse 3. I am barely a man which am a Jew, born in Tarsus. Now, this is Paul speaking. He said, I'm a man, I'm a Jew. I was born in Tarsus, read. A city in Cilicia yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel. Right, like the book just said. Is that it? And taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, and was zealous toward God as ye all are this day. And back in the day, y'all, uh, you had to go to the synagogue and get, get the Bible. It ain't, it ain't like now everybody got a Bible in their own home. You know, you had certain Israelites, they, they would have a couple of scrolls in their houses that they, was in their possession. But if you wanted to get the book in its entirety, you had to go to the synagogue. And that's where you got it. That's where you got taught. So Paul said he was brought at Gamel's feet, and he was schooled thoroughly in the law. So that means he spent a lot of time in the temple. Like the book said, when he reached a certain age, his daddy sent him to Jerusalem to, to be uh, under the tutelage of Gamiel. Uh, Read on. I'm sorry. Let's go to Acts 5 and verse 34. Acts chapter 5 and verse 34. Then stood there up one in the council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law, had a reputation among all the people and commanded to put the apostles forth a little space. So this is Paul's teacher. Is, it, is that it? That's all 34. Uh, let's go back to Caesar and Christ, page uh, 580. Where are you at? Yeah, finish it. After the youth had learned the trade of tent making and had received instruction in the local synagogue, his father sent him to Jerusalem, where Paul tells us he was educated at the feet of Gamaliel, 
according to the strict manner of the law. Mm-hmm. Gamaliel was reputedly the grandson of Hillel. He succeeded Hillel as president of the Sanhedrin and carried on the tradition of interpreting the law with a lenient regard for the frailty of mankind. Stricter Pharisees were shocked to find him gazing appreciatively even upon pagan women. He was so learned that the Jews who keenly honored scholarship called him the beauty of the law and gave to him first, as to only six men after him, the title of Rabban, our master. Right, which means master. Remember what Christ said, he said, call no man master. He said, you have one master, and it was him. You know? From him and others and others, Paul learned that shrewd and subtle, sometimes casuistic and sophistical manner of biblical interpretation, which was to disport itself in the Talmud. Despite Paul's initiation into Hellenism, he remained to the end a Jew. He remained a what? A Jew. A Jew. Y'all see this, right? Even though he grew up in a Roman territory, he still referred to himself as a Jew. Even though he was the apostle to the Gentiles, he still referred to himself as a Jew. You know? In mind and character, uttered no doubt of the Torah's inspiration and proudly maintained the divine election of the Jews as the medium of man's salvation. Do y'all hear this? Because a lot of people, they read Paul's letters, they see he gave up Judaism, he gave up the law. That's not so. All right, let's go to Acts chapter 21 and read verse 39. Acts chapter 21 and verse 39. But Paul said, I am a man which am a Jew of Tarsus, mm-hmm. a city in Cilicia, mm-hmm. a citizen of no mean city. Paul had dual citizenship, read. And I beseech thee, suffer me to speak unto the people. And when he had given him license, Paul stood on the stairs and beckoned with the hand unto the people. Mm-hmm. And when there was made a great silence, he spake unto them in the Hebrew tongue. In the what tongue? Hebrew tongue. In the Hebrew tongue. Paul was a talented brother, man. So far, he spoke about two languages. That was verse 40? Yes. Yeah. Let's go to Romans chapter 11, verse 1. Yeah, I'm beating a dead horse. 11 one. Mm-hmm. I say then, has God cast away his people? Right, because they also like to say this nonsense. All those Israelites messed up, so God stopped dealing with them. He dealt with the Gentiles. <laughs> but what did Paul say? God forbid. <laughs> the apostles to the Gentiles say, no, God has not cast away his people. Read. For I also am an Israelite <laughs> of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. Right. And he, he said that uh, the Most High, he says that he foreknew these people. He had prior knowledge of these people, that they were his people. No, God's people were not cast away. Let's get 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 22. 2 Corinthians 11 and 22. Are they Hebrews? So am I. This is Paul once again. <laughs> Or the Hebrews, so am I. But I thought I thought Paul was a Christian, the founder of Christianity. No. That's what religion likes to say. 
Paul always was expressing his Israelitism. Read. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. So am I. <laughs> Is that it? That's all 22. Philippians chapter 3, verse 4. This is what the whole book is about, y'all. It's about the story of the Israelites. Yeah, other nations are involved because they had to do with our story, but that don't mean they getting salvation, man. Don't mean that. Mm-hmm. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. This is Paul speaking. He said, Man, you want to brag about your lineage? I can brag more than you. Read. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel. That's because that's the law. So Paul was a law keeper. Now this is what book is this? Philippians. Mm-hmm. But I thought y'all said Paul did away with the law. <laughs> why is Christ talking? I mean, I'm sorry. Why is Paul talking about the law right here? That's part of the law to be circumcised eight days. Read. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee. As touching the law, a Pharisee. What verse is that? Three. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. The righteousness which is in the what? The law. No, it's in Christianity. The law. The righteousness is in the law. Paul kept the law. That it? Verse 6. Look at Acts chapter 22, verse 25. Is that 22 and 25? Mm-hmm. And as they bound him with thongs, Paul said unto the centurion that stood by, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man that is a Roman and not condemn? Now, we read all these scriptures, and Paul was talking about what? He an Israelite. He a Jew. But now we read Paul talking about what? He's a Roman citizen. He had dual citizenship. People read right over this. Read. That's, that was 25, right? Yes. Acts chapter 16, verse 37. But Paul said unto them, They have beaten us openly, uncondemned. Being Roman. Being what? Roman. Here he is, pulling the Roman card. <laughs> is that it? And have cast us into prison. And now do they thrust us out privily? Nay, verily, but let them come themselves and fetch us out. Romans 11 and 13. For I speak to you, Gentiles. Inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles. So he said, I'll speak to you Gentiles as much as I am what? The apostle of the Gentiles. Of the Gentiles. I'm, I grew up in Gentile providence just like y'all. I magnify mine office. First Timothy 2 and 7. 
So this apostle of the Gentiles was himself an Israelite who grew up in Gentile territory, had Roman citizenship. Read. Wherein, too, I am ordained a preacher and an apostle, the truth in Christ, and lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. Those Gentiles were Israelites, once again. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 11. Whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. Now, let's get to Zonovan, page 133. I've done this before. <laughs> we beat dead horses. Spora, or diaspora, that which is sown. The name applied to the Jews living outside of Palestine and maintaining their religious faith among the Gentiles. Among the who? Gentiles. Among the other nations. Read. God had warned the Jews through Moses that dispersion among other nations would be their lot if they departed from the Mosaic law. Now listen to this, y'all. These prophecies were largely fulfilled in the two captivities by Assyria and Babylonia. But there were other captivities which helped scatter the Israelites. By the time of Christ, the diaspora must have been several times the population of Palestine. So you had more Israelites outside of Palestine, outside of Israel. I'm sorry, yeah, you had more Israelites outside of Israel than you had Israelites in Israel. And what happened, Reed? Paul invariably contacted the people in every city he visited. And Paul went to these Israelites in every city that he visited. You read about him visiting in Corinth and Philippians, in Ephesus, in Rome. Paul was visiting Israelites. Hope everybody sees this. Now let's get Acts chapter twenty-six and so verse nineteen. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. Now this is Paul when he was put on trial because he appeared to appeal to Caesar. He was on. He, uh, he was on his way to Rome to, to appear before Caesar because he was being brought up on charges by us for blasphemy. So this is him telling King Agrippa his story. Read. But shoot first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coasts of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God. To do works meet for repentance. Now, who are these Gentiles once again, y'all? They're part of the diaspora. Let's not get it twisted. Read. For these causes, the Jews caught me in the temple and went about to kill me. Having therefore obtained help of God, I continued unto this day, witnessing both to Saul and great, saying none other things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come, mm-hmm. that Christ should suffer and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead, 
mm-hmm. and should shew light unto the people and to the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. Keep on. Yep. And as he thus spake for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself. Much learning doeth make thee mad. Read. And he said, I'm not mad, most notable Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. Now look how Paul is addressing these people. He's addressing them, addressing these people, uh, Festus and Agrippa, with the utmost respect. Because look at the position that Paul was in. He had chains on. He was in jail. Read. For the king knoweth of these things, before whom also I speak freely. And he said, man, the king know about our heritage, the Israelite heritage, the Israelite way. You know about this. We're going to get to that in a second. Read. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him. Mm-hmm. For this thing was not done in a corner. Mm-hmm. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophet? He said, what? Believest thou the prophet? How the hell would Agrippa know about our prophets? That's one thing you got to ask yourself. Read. I know that thou believest. <laughs> Read. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Now, a lot of people like to use this verse right here that's coming up to say, see, the Gentiles can make it. Because why would Paul say such a thing? Read on. And Paul said, I would to God that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I am. Now, we're going to get to that in a second. But this is what I want to cover first. How the hell would Agrippa know the scriptures? Let's go into the uh, Bible Atlas, this book right here, and go to page 207. Yeah. I need to clean it. Move that book. Move my book, man. Oh, shit. Give me that. Yeah. Just from the top. Um. Hold on for a second. Let me see. <clears throat> Give me just a second, y'all. I gotta find this. Time be moving too fast. Um. Here it is, right here. Chapter 25. Yeah, here it is right here. So read the bottom. It says, where it says, Heroi Agrippa II. You tell them where you read from. Okay. From the Holman Bible Atlas, a complete guide to the expansive geography of biblical history. Page 207 from the chart. Yeah, right there. Okay. From chart 21, the Herodian rulers. The Herodian rulers. This is part of the Herodian dynasty, Herod's dynasty, his lineage. Read. Herod Agrippa II, great-grandson of Herod the Great. So Agrippa came from the lineage of Herod. He was part of the Herodian dynasty. And this is Agrippa II. Read. 
realm of responsibility, Tetrach and king of Chalcis. Mm-hmm. Dates of reign, A.D. 44 to 100. Mm-hmm. Became king in A.D. 48. Mm-hmm. Biblical reference. Biblical reference. Listen to this, read. Acts 25, 13 through 20, excuse me, Acts chapter 25, verse 13 through Acts chapter 26, verse 32. So it's the same one we're talking about that's in question in Acts the 26th chapter, which we just read. That's the grip of the second. I hope y'all understand that. Now, go to page 199 of the same book, that Bible atlas. Highlight. What does it say? Validation. Uh, let me see. Yeah, yeah, read that. From the Holman Bible Atlas, page 199. Consolidation of power. Facing a precarious position during his first 10 years, Herod ruthlessly consolidated his power. Now, this is Agrippa's great-great-great-grandfather. Read. Herod was an Idumean. He was what? An Idumean. He was an Edomite. Read. An Edomite half caste. In Jewish eyes, he was unfit to rule. As a client king of Rome, Herod symbolized foreign domination to the Jews, especially supporters of the Hasmonean dynasty. So, when it said uh, supporters of the Hasmonean dynasty, I I don't know if y'all remember, I did a class back where I explained how Herod had intermarried into the Hasmonean dynasty. Well, he hated them and wanted to kill that lineage off. In fact, he did kill a couple of his sons to kill that lineage. So he hated the Hasmonean dynasty. He hated the Jews, and the feeling was mutual. The Jews hated him too. Read. In an effort to win Jewish support, Herod divorced his Idumean wife, Doris, and married a Hasmonean princess. See, he married into the family, read. Miriam, or Miriamne. The strategy failed due in large measure to Herod's mother-in-law, Alexandra. While insisting that Herod appoint her younger, her young son, Aristobulus III, high priest Alexandra plotted against Herod. She solicited the support of Cleopatra of Egypt and generally so distrust and sedition. Herod responded to these threats by ordering the murder of his chief rival, Aristobulus. He mysteriously drowned at Jericho. Now, Aristobulus was uh, one of the last heirs of the Hasmonean dynasty, all right? And what, what happened was this Hasmonean dynasty, uh, these, these were the Maccabees, y'all. And uh, under John Hycranus, he had basically came in and took over Edom, and he forced converted them to Jude, what, what they called Judaism. He forced converted them to our law, statutes, and commandments. And this is how they got became familiar with the Bible. And this is what Paul is asking him. Agrippa, you believe the scriptures, don't you? 
This is what he's talking about in Acts. Now read the rest of that. And the aging Hyrcanus II, Miriamne and Alexandra eventually died by Herod's orders also. All right. So let that go. And I want you to go to Acts chapter 13 and verse 1. Now listen to this, y'all, because I did tell y'all that Herod and his lineage study was known as Judaism. See, they studied our law, statutes, and commandments. I'm going to prove it. Acts 13 and 1. Mm-hmm. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Menaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. They have been brought up with who? Herod the Tetrarch. Y'all see this? They have been brought up. They study. He studied under us. They knew scriptures. They he knew the law. Let's let's read Acts chapter twenty six. Hold it. Acts chapter twenty six and read verse uh, twenty seven again. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophet? I know that thou believest. Now you ask how he know. We're reading how he knew. Read Acts chapter thirteen again. Verse 1. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon, Simeon that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Menaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. I hope y'all see that. So these Edomites study Israelites, ism. Or Judaism. Now let's go back to the uh, the Bible Atlas, page two thirty seven. Now, and whole Acts. We coming back which, to which it. Which one? Uh, Thirteen or We gonna we gonna go back to uh, Acts chapter twenty six. Okay. So hold that. And go to two. The Bible Atlas two thirty seven. Uh, hold on, y'all. Let me get the page of where I want to read. Empire doing the early signs of the church. Uh, come on, man. I'm sorry, y'all. Got to be more detailed with my notes. Oh, let's hold this. Hold this for now. Let's go back to Acts uh, 26. And read, uh, start verse 28. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Now he said almost. Remember, the uh, the Herodian dynasty, they hated us. <laughs> they weren't cool like that with us. He said, you almost persuade me to be a follower of Christ. Now watch what Paul said, read. And Paul said, I would to God that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day were, birth, were both almost and altogether such as I am, except these bonds. So people will read this and say, see, 
Paul was inviting all the Gentiles in. Why would he tell this man, man, I wish you was a Christian? We got to read it in context. Remember, and that's why I brought all those scriptures out about Paul saying he was an Israelite. And then when he had to say that he was a Roman, he said what? Mm-hmm. I'm a Roman. <laughs> I'm a Roman citizen. <laughs> when it mattered, <laughs> when he was trying to get out of trouble, he played a Roman card. We would at the border. Exactly, as we would at the border. We would stop at the border. I'm an American citizen. <laughs> we play the same card. So it shows you how skillful Paul was. And remember what Christ said. Hold this. Let's get Matthew chapter 10 and read verse uh, 16. We coming right back here. 10 and start, I'm sorry, Matthew 10 and 16. Mm-hmm. Read. Yeah. Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Now, this is Christ speaking. Read. Be ye therefore wise as serpents. He said what? Be ye therefore wise as serpents. Be wise as a serpent. And that's what Paul is being right now. Wise as a serpent. Read. And harmless as doves. But he calls nobody no harm. Read on. But be aware of men, for they will deliver you up to the council. And that's what they did to Paul. They delivered him up to the council. And it was the council of us, the Israelites, the Sanhedrin. Read. And they will scourge you in their synagogue. And he did. He got beat up in the synagogue. Read. And ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake. And then what did they end up doing? Bringing Paul before a governor and a king. <laughs> that was prophecy. Read. For a testimony against them and the Gentiles. Read on. But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what, for it shall be given you in that same hour what ye shall speak. I'm going to give you the words to say. Read. For it is not ye that speak, but the spirit of your father which speaketh in you. So who was speaking for Paul when he was in front of Agrippa? It was the spirit of Most High. Christ gave him the words to say. Now let's go back and revisit that. Acts chapter 26, verse 29. Now listen to it. Read into the context. With the situation at hand. And Paul said, I would to God that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day were both, almost, and altogether, such as I am. He said, man, not just you. I wish everybody that's here today would hear me and be a Christian, (laughs) which means a follower of Christ. Now listen to the last part. Read. Accept these bonds. Accept these bonds. Because if everybody, including Agrippa, believed as Paul believed in, in Christ, Paul wouldn't be in what? In bonds. He wouldn't be in those damn bonds. He wouldn't be in jail. His his life wouldn't be in perils. <laughs> but this was Paul being what? Wise as serpents, harmless as doves, man. But they try to use this to say that now the Gentiles are included. Man, they really be reaching. Anyway, 
Now let's get uh, the Bible Atlas, page 227, and I want you to get Acts chapter 18 in the Bible. <clears throat> Man, I ain't going to even get a chance to get to where I want to get to. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> uh, Acts 18, we're going to read verse 1 through 4, but I want you to get the uh, Atlas first. And read Claudius kicks Jews out of Rome. You see that? On I'm sorry, two thirty-seven. <clears throat> right there, where it says pause first, right here. Oh, so two thirty-six. Okay. Wait a minute, let me see, let me see. I don't want to make sure. Hold on, I'm sorry. I want to make sure we're reading right stuff. Oh, no, no, no. This is what I want to get to. Um, yeah. Damn. Okay, we got to read both of them. So read this first, and then I want you to jump over here, okay? okay. So we can get the historical uh, con- context. From, read. The, from the Holman Bible Atlas. Mm-hmm. Page 236, Paul's first two missionary journeys were completed during the reign of Claudius. During the reign of who? Claudius. So Claudius Caesar was empowered during Paul's first two missionary journeys. That's important. Read. According to Suetonius, Life of Claudius 25.4, a disturbance among the Jews of Rome over a certain Christus, Christ? It's talking about Christ, yeah caused Claudius to issue an edict temporarily banishing the Jews from Rome as a remedy. So where you at? Yeah. So this is when Claudius expelled the Jews. He put us out because we had conflict amongst one another. You had Israelites that didn't believe in Christ and that Christ was the Messiah, the Savior. And then you had other Israelites that did believe in Christ and believe he was the Messiah, the the Savior, that were known as Christians. That It said that Matter of fact, oh, man, let's get a uh, hold where you at. I know we jumping a lot, y'all. We got to get this, though. Just to prove what I'm saying. We're going to stay in Acts. Acts 11 and 26. Mm-hmm. Read that. Acts 11 and 26. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church. And taught much people. Now listen to this, the part I want to get. Read. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. So the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. It didn't say they called themselves Christians, but they was called Christians, which which means to be a follower of Christ. So this is the background, the backdrop of what was going on during Paul's time, during Claudius' time. Now go back to the uh, Bible Atlas and read that part again. Two missionary journeys were completed during the reign of Claudius. According to Suetonius, 
Claudius, a disturbance among the Jews of Rome over a certain Christus caused, caused Claudius to issue an edict temporarily banishing the Jews from Rome as a remedy. So we was banging and clowning and fighting each other so bad over Christ, him being the Messiah, him not being the Messiah, that the Romans, uh, the Roman uh, Caesar put us out of the damn city. Read. On his second missionary journey, Paul met Aquila and Priscilla in Corinth. The Jewish couple had recently been expelled from Rome mm-hmm. following Claudius' edict. That's it, right? There's more. Go ahead. Claudius also intervened on behalf of Alexandrian Jewish community of the Alexandrian Jewish community in their social and political struggles against the Gentile community. Mm-hmm. Although he warned them to be content with their status rather than press for additional privileges. Now let's go to Acts 18 and 1 now. This corresponds to what we just read in this Bible Atlas. And this is the last scripture we're going to get y'all to read them close. Acts 18 and 1. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth. Keep reading. And found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome and came unto them. What verse is that? That's two. Read. So this this was this goes hand in hand with what we read out of the uh, Bible Atlas. This is Claudius kicking the Jews out of Rome. Read. And because he was of the same craft, he abode with them. Right. Paul was a tent maker, just like Aquila and Priscilla. And wrought for their occupation, they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. And when that's verse what? So he he reasoned in the synagogue, persuaded the Jews, and it says the Greeks is talking about Israelites that grew up as Greeks. Read verse five. No, that's it. That's it. So he was reasoning with them out of the scriptures on Christ being the Messiah. That's what he was reasoning reasoning with them about. And this was the disturbance that caused uh, Claudius Caesar to expel all the Jews out of Rome. Now, y'all, I hate I didn't get further, but that's my time, and um, I will continue this, Lord willing, next Tuesday. Uh, thanks, everybody, for tuning in to Wadham Shallow for hooking up the broadcast. I hope y'all got some edification out of this class. I hope I didn't lose nobody. I know I was jumping quite a bit, uh, but I uh, thank y'all for y'all continued support and uh, encouragement. And keep coming with y'all questions, y'all. I love the questions. Uh, And until next week, Lord willing, tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend to please tune in to Tuzzle Pop. Tuesday. Tuzzle Pop. Tuesday. Tuzzle Pop. Tuesday. Every Tuesday. And with that, y'all, we're going to say shalom. And lay a lot to Bob, which means good night.